My name is Yixuan Pan, and I am a working artist. Approaching thirty, I suddenly realized that I've never had a full-time job in my life. Before I freaked out, I started this podcast, Working Artist. Here, I ask other artists my favorite question: What do you do for money? I'm curious to know how creative people make things work for them. What is their lifestyle outside of the nine-to-five grind? How does their day job affect their identity as artists, and vice versa? Please email weareworkingartists at gmail.com if you are interested in being a guest and sharing your stories with me. Visual artists. Musicians, writers, dancers—I can't wait to hear about your normal, boring, exciting, absurd, under the table, badass day jobs. I met Kelly in grad school. She was making a bunch of horseman collages at the time, horses with human bodies, but for some reason, all dressed in business casual. We used to go to water aerobics after class. We're kicking in the swimming pool and keeping our heads above water was simply a fun workout. She taught me how to eat radishes with butter, 'cause that's how the French do it. I believe that she secretively envies sparrows in some way, because every time when we see them, she would say something like, "Sparrows are so cool; they're just so sure of themselves." Now Callie has moved away. Sparrows are still wandering around in dirty Philly streets. Delightfully collecting nutrition or bathing themselves in sidewalk dust. I had a conversation with Kelly on Wednesday, before her online teaching. Here is our conversation, starting with Kelly's self introduction. Hi, my name is Kelly Kirkendall. I am an artist living in Portland, Oregon,、uh, as a recent move. Oh, also, I have a. An almost eleven-month-old puppy. His name is Pizza Party, and he is a really—he's like a big ball of energy. So he has to go to bed. Okay, come on, go to bed. Yeah. So my work is sort of broad. It kind of takes the form of making zines, drawings,、um, some digital collages, and a few soft sculptures as well.、Uh, kind of bounces all over the place.、Um, I guess like a visual theme is a lot of interior spaces and. Those spaces have kind of changed, like meaning for me as as my practice has developed. But right now, they're kind of about expectations and what is promised、uh, in relation to the ideas of home and stability. Expectations and promise, like whose expectation and whose promise is it? Like your ex your expectation for yourself and your promise to to、uh, achieve that.、Uh, it's a little bit of both. It's like what society has promised.、Um, I come from like a really conservative place with. Very conservative values. I went to like a tiny private school where 
from day one, we kind of knew who was going to do what. It was weird. Like a handful of people in my class were always supposed to be doctors and now they're all doctors. Some of them were supposed to be lawyers. Now they're all lawyers. And it's like, so they, they definitely just followed a certain path. Mm -hmm. Like they just checked all the boxes and, um, they met what was was expected of them. And now they are expecting to get certain things from society. Um, Mm -hmm. the ideas of like, at this point in my life, I thought my life would be a lot more stable and it's really so far from it, which I think is a common thing that artists experience. Um, and I, I, I honestly, and I think with, I mean, the way the world is now, nothing is very stable. So even I think the people who thought they had a guarantee maybe don't anymore, like a house, your health, house, climate change, like flooding, fires, tornadoes, like, uh, I don't think anything could be promised the way it was once promised. So it's sort of about that in relation to your own physical space. And I think like what you're doing here, just like asking people what you do for money, I think is a really good way of how those promises kind of fall flat. <laughs> I, I think I think I am going to have a big shift here soon with like the relationship between money, work and being an artist, because up until COVID, I have been pretty privileged to have creative jobs. I, I think in all that work, I think really influenced my practice and fed into my practice between uh, doing fabrication and like working on sets, even like working at the, I worked at a farmer's market on and off for like three years. And I think, I mean, that's where I first started learning about natural dyes. And a lot, I like, learned a lot about like knitting and crochet and talked to a lot of crocheters and knitters, just more about natural processes. So I think like that influenced my practice and gave me a lot of time to, when I was just doing that full time, um, it gave me a lot of time to have a creative practice. So I think, I don't know, I think up until this point, I've always like associated work, like my money work with my artistic practice. Can you, can you tell us more about like this natural farm job? You, and you said it's a full-time job. When did you do this? When when did you start? So I started, I guess like full-time. It, so it was all a cash under the table job. I worked for two different farms in New York City. I didn't work on the farms themselves. I just worked in the farm stand selling their products. Uh, one stand that the stand I worked for longest was a sheep farm. Um, and I got the job because my friends worked there on the weekends. I was also in 2013, I was still working on film sets full time, but I wasn't union. So I was only making between like $125 to like $175 a day for the most part. And that's really not enough to, to really get by. So after, right, in, in New York City. Yeah. So I would work yeah. all week on set. And then Saturdays, I'd work at the farmer's market. Um, and so, yeah, the first stand I worked for and the stand I worked for longest, the, the sheep farm, they sold meat products. So they sold all lamb meat. And then they sold the yarn from the meat. They were, I mean, the yarn from the sheep, uh, uh-huh. which I think that's a misconception too, which I'll say like a lot of people think you have to kill the sheep to shear it, but you don't, you, you kill it to get the pelt, but like, it's, it's funny. It's like weird how people don't understand where materials come from. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, but anyway, so, um, yeah, so the, the farm had Merino wool that they sold and it would be, it was half of it was dyed synthetically and the other half was dyed naturally. Um, and there were two different sides of the stand and, Part of my job was, and they're all different weights too. So there'd be like extra, like bulky weights, there'd be sport weights, there's mm. lace weights, there's, so I learned more about yarn than I had really ever thought about before. Um, Cause I, I knew how to knit, but I didn't, I hadn't like, I like, you know, made little scarves and that was it. Like I never really thought about 
like assigning the right kind of yarn and yarn weight and the kind of dye to whatever project you're working on. Um, yeah. And, and, and doing this job, you kind of have a, like you're closer to where the yarn is from, right. like one step closer to the resource. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And they, um, it's all died. It was all died on the farm too. So it was cool being able to talk to the woman who we're still in touch today. So it's cool. We still talk, but, um, wow. she, uh, she's great. She, um, but she did all the dyeing and it was cool to hear her process of dyeing and, um, she also had like a really old knitting machine, which are kind of finicky machines. If you've ever worked, like if you've never worked on one, they're kind of hard to get set up, but once you get them set up, they'll go. But she like used knitting machines to like make hats and stuff. And um, just basically did it because she loves the sheep so much. <laughs> like she would say, I don't really make wow. much money off of them, but uh, I just really love, like she just really loved working with the product she was producing. So that's also kind of her studio practice in a way. <laughs> yeah basically she views farm life as like kind of saving her life like she I think like the sheep have just given her like a different kind of purpose and outlook on life she's very close to her to the flock and uh takes it very seriously but um yeah so she she does a lot for them <laughs> what are the colors from the natural dye that the farm at the time produced oh my all kinds of colors like it's really crazy so like you can get like lime greens and like really deep reds deep purples really vibrant blues they used um that's when I started learning the difference between like cochineal and matter and indigo and like the way like how indigo works too like it's like a you know like a fermented dye it never it, it never really like sets on something the way that other dyes might so like we had to be really careful with how we packed all the yarn because like people who just started at the farm stand, sometimes they'd pack like the indigo with the undyed yarn. And like, then all of a sudden, like your, your undyed yarn would become like a light blue because the indigo would like rub off on the undyed yarn. Um, there were also like, you know, she used different um, mordants on them. So like the mordant is the thing that allows the, the dye to like hold on to the, the fibers. So like, and if you use different mordants, you can get different colors. Um, with the same dye uh she had a lot of like 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 I mean pretty much any color you could imagine you could get the synthetics she could get more like neon-y colors like really hot pinks um or really really like like kind of like 70s yellows like really bright yellows I love that color it's really fun um and like teals like she got um there's this amazing like we used to hang like bulky weights which are like the really thick yarn um she would hang like we'd hang like the hot pink next to like this like crazy teal. Um, and they looked so good, <laughs> looked so good together. At the time, uh, when you're working at the farm vendor, did you already have a focus on fiber? Cause I know you went to grad school for materials and fiber studies. Is that the name? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fiber and material studies. So it did, did that interest start before or after? Was it coincidence? Uh, I think all of the above. Um, I just got the job because like I, I needed a little extra income. And so like the woman, I want, the woman who owns it now is named Dominique, but at the time when I started a man named Eugene owned it and he generally liked younger women working at the stand. Cause I think he like, he just thought his sales went up because if he, if you had like young girls working there, which <laughs> you could think a lot about that, but, um, I'm not saying there weren't men who worked there as well, but generally it was young women. I, I started getting into fibers in undergrad because everything in the sculpture studio was always broken <laughs> it, it was like because I went to a I went to a little liberal arts school 
in Portland. So it's like not an art school, but like people took art classes and like everything was either locked or the blade was broken on it. But I had a sewing machine, so I could always use my sewing machine. Um, and I was just more comfortable with fabric because it's something I had used, like I had been using fabric even as a kid, like little sewing projects. So I just started making soft sculptures. And it was also fairly inexpensive and also easy to transport fabric versus lumber. So, or like metal. So that's like, you could go to a Goodwill and get all your materials really, really cheap. So it's more accessible and more manageable, basically. Yeah, exactly. And that's sort of how I started. I think that's how I just started focusing on fibers more. Like that's what I actually ended up applying to grad school with was like a few natural dyed pieces based on landscapes in the city. Part of that was because I, I also started working for another farm stand, the one that was actually right next door to the lamb stand. Uh, <laughs> they needed help and it, like, it was a huge stand it was like three times bigger than the lamp the, the sheep farm and it was a biodynamic farm meaning like everything on the farm worked as like a collective system oh um, amazing so, right it's pretty cool so like you know you only have like you, you like your garden like you grow pea shoots in the spring because that like puts nitrogen back in the soil which means you have more tomatoes like so it's like there's like a whole practice to it um, uh, it's basically it's like kind of like permaculture but there's a little bit more to it there's a little bit more of like a kind of like a holistic I think more like religious kind of aspect to it like we didn't like I think like we didn't sell any chicken or eggs because it didn't fit into like the way the farm worked you know like they sold uh they sold pork and beef but not chicken you know like, like they had certain rules with what they uh with what they could sell and what they had. They also had, um, they also had like a huge bakery too. Oh, cool. How long you worked at the stands for? Uh, I worked for um, the sheep farm from 2013 to 2016 on and off. Oh, wow. And then I worked for the biodynamic farm uh, from like 2015, like the year before grad school. And I worked there two days a week. And then I worked um, for the lamb stand one day a week. And these were like, I worked 40 hours. I think I worked 37 hours a week in three days. Um, Wait, that's and, from working at a stand. Yeah. Yeah. And that was like, an, to be like, I only worked three days a week. Like, so the year before I decided I wanted to go to grad school, but I didn't have a portfolio in like 2015. Uh-huh. So I stopped doing film work for the most part and just worked at the farmer's market. And that's uh, when I started just like making work again and like gave myself the time to do it. And mm-hmm. I could make... I had just worked for, I had spent a year working for National Geographic and I made a lot of money. What work did you do for uh, National Geographic? Uh, I got a job from 2014 to 2015. I was a props master on a TV show, like a game show, like a children's science television show uh, for like a whole season. And it was, it was an interesting job. <laughs> um yeah, I ended up like we traveled a lot for that job. I ended up in Vegas for like a month, so that was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, it paid me it paid me more than double I was used to making, um, which to be fair was only like sixty thousand dollars. But that was like that was a lot of money. <laughs> that was like a lot of money for me to make in like ten months. So uh, that was like that just provided me like a cushion to then. Like the, the, the farmer's market basically paid me enough to pay my rent and bills, but like not extra. But then I didn't have to worry about that extra because I had like savings. So I was still able to have a life. And also working at the farmer's market, I got groceries. So that was cool. Organic um, biodynamic groceries. 
yeah, really fancy. I like, I was like, also, that's also when I started biking a lot too, working at the farmer's market from like 2015 to 2016. So between like eating really fancy food and biking all the time, like I was in such good shape. Like, <laughs> like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was like a good time really. Um, but yeah, but it also allowed me to make a lot of work to apply to grad. Was it also kind of give you some sort of structure? Yeah. Yeah, it definitely gave me a structure. And it gave me, and also everybody I worked with was really nice. So it gave me some great friends as well. Uh, but it's one thing that I really liked about working at the farmer's market versus like having like a restaurant job or like a job that would keep me up really late is I had to wake up at like 5 a.m. to be at work by 6. Wow. Uh, so, and then I would work until 6 p.m. So it just kind of kept, it kept me healthier in a lot of ways of like, I couldn't stay out partying really late. Um, not saying I didn't sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I had to go to bed early to like have enough sleep to make it through the next day. Um, and I always worked weekends. So that job kind of formed you into a morning person. Are you a morning person still? No, no. I, I think that also goes through phases. Uh, I was like a teenager. I was a morning person too. Like I used to ride horses. And so I'd have to like wake up really early to go do that. Uh, and then I think like, I think if I have to be a morning person, I can be, but if you just let me do what I want, I'll sleep late. I'll, I'll sleep like 10 hours, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, that sounds amazing. It sounds like a very nice time. Was it because you're just like recalling the memories out there? Everything is kind of like covered with this nostalgic filter uh, I think nostalgia is definitely playing a part here. Um, I did like the job. Like I did like it, but it's hard. Cause like, you know, you're, you're outside, you're just standing outside. Um, so if it's like really hot, you're outside when it's hot. I remember one day we worked when it was like 18 degrees outside and it was, we wrapped the whole tent in plastic and we had like space heaters going. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's hard. It's dirty work. Cause you're also loading and unloading trucks. So it's really hard on your body. You stand for 12 to 13 hours a day, which is hard on your body. Um, my mm -hmm. skin was pretty rough. I remember I would bring like a uh, witch hazel toner with me to work and I would, I would get breaks and I would like clean my face. Uh, and it would just like, I would look at the pad that I cleaned my face with and it was black because oh. there was so much exhaust. Like it was, so it was like really hard on, it was yeah. like hard on your body in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, it was like, cause I mostly worked in union square. So like uh -huh. there's a ton of traffic. There's a lot of people, like you also have to deal with a lot of people, um, and some people, most of the people were amazing, but every so often you get like somebody who's wildly sexist who like won't talk to you because you're a woman or just wants to oh come scream at you. Or like, you know, you're like working at the lampstand. We had a lot of PETA people come by, uh, you know, and it's, yeah. So it's like, you know, there's also, there's other <laughs> there were aspects of the job that were challenging. Um, but, you know, yeah. but for the most part, I would say it was, it was great. And I would actually, if, if you're, I mean, a lot of times they hire more people in the summer too. So if, if you're an artist who like needs work, I would always recommend working at a farmer's market. I also worked for a bakery at a farmer's market in Chile between my first and second year of grad school. Um, yes, I remember that. And, and and you used to give me this, I think it's like a multi-grain bread. Mm. And when my mom came to visit, it's her favorite. Cause I think in the bread, there's like wild rice. So it's like the black rice they're they're like a little bit skinnier oh. so when you eat them you can actually taste the husk not the husk like the skin of the rice um oh it's yeah. so great <laughs> <laughs> that was a good job they were really friendly too that was a really that was a good job to have I tried to keep it while working at 
simple contemporary, but I couldn't keep up with, like it was too much between school and working at, working on campus and doing the market on the weekend. But what, what other wild jobs that you had or just normal mundane jobs? Prop, prop stylists and fabricators, probably the role I did most. And honestly, like sometimes I, I was like just an assistant, but I, but an assistant does a lot. Like the prop, like the, my boss would usually be the one who'd be in meetings all day, but I'd be the one who would be like shopping and sourcing and sometimes fabricating. I've definitely been a nanny, um, which meant I just, I, I just drove two kids around a lot. And that was right after I graduated, I couldn't find a job. And, and then for a while, I also was just cleaning stalls in a barn, like a horse barn. Yeah. So I would get there at like six or six. Or, I don't remember what time I'd show up, but earlier in the morning, and then I would, I think there were like 20 stalls and then a bunch of, a few paddocks that I'd have to muck and like strip them, take all the sawdust out, clean them out, dump it, and then put new sawdust in. And I mean, the job itself was fine. Uh, I got re- like my, like, I just basically pushed a wheelbarrow for like four hours, five hours a day. <laughs> and <laughs> like also you Buff get, arms. You get really, yeah, in really good shape. Um, but it wasn't sustainable, like, cause it just, it was, it didn't pay well. And it was kind of far from where I was living at the time. So I wound up being a nanny, which paid me better. And they also paid for my gas. Cause like a lot of what I was doing was driving the kids. Um, I've also worked as like a cashier in a grocery store. And I've also worked at summer camps or like as a camp counselor. When you were working at your studio, like in, in your studio, working on your own pieces, do you feel like you were in a different mindset? Do you like forget about um, your day jobs all of a sudden? I feel like I never stop worrying or thinking about other things I have to do <laughs> or, like, mm. or work, which is funny because whenever I do like, you ever do like yoga videos or like Pilates videos and they're always like, forget about everything else. If you're thinking about be something, present. be present. And I feel like, yeah, uh, no, I'm not present. <laughs> I'm like always thinking about like, oh, uh, like I can't be here right now. I like really need to go apply to that thing or like, oh, I really need to go like grocery shopping or I haven't done laundry in like two weeks. And it's actually something I'm trying to work on. But I think, uh, I kind of think working on set and also the education I had, like like where I went to school from like kindergarten onward, uh, I think that's the kind of like mentality they put you in all the time because there's always so much to do that you if you're not thinking about it constantly, you won't get it done. Um, mm. So I think there's, and I kind of think that's like, there's like kind of a, there's like a sickness there, right? Like you're constantly trying to be like yeah. really industrious. And uh, it's a thing that I'm trying to work on because my my partner is like, he is the opposite. He's like, <laughs> he's really funny. He, he doesn't, he likes to have like a separation from work in a way that I think is the opposite of me. Um, and sometimes I try to like, try to be more like, <laughs> try to be a little bit more like that. Um, uh-huh, to, to, to separate your life and your work. Yeah. Yeah. And I think right now it's pretty interesting. It's, it's, I'm, tr- I'm trying to apply for jobs because we just moved out to the West coast. And this is the first time that I'm really applying to jobs that I'm like, oh, cool. I could have this job and it could have nothing to do with my identity other than it, it's a job. And I can like really treat it mm. as that. Um, so so that's, that's an interesting place to be. Can you can you share what, what kind of job you're applying now? Oh my gosh, so many jobs. So uh, I've applied <laughs> to jobs. Uh, I worked for Parks and Rec over the summer. 
uh, and that was more art space. Like I was teaching art classes to kids in just the parks around the city, which was really cool. And then I've also applied, but that job's over. It was just temporary, but they had other positions open that I applied to, but we'll see what happens. Uh Um, Like admin type of job? Yeah. And also just like recreate, like, so they have like community centers throughout the city and they need people working at them to like organize. Yeah. Like more like admin, like organizing, like organizing events and classes and like making sure registration is in or like coming up with ideas of what the community center can do. Um, so it's like a little creative, but that's like one of the more creative jobs I've applied to. I've also applied to jobs at like the water bureau. Uh, what is that? Which are like, the, like basically this job is just to see if people have lead in their water and like helping them get oh, wow. like kits to test for lead. <laughs> but like the thing is too, is like these jobs, like, like that job. And it's also a lot of data entry. So I got an email a few days ago that was like, you're on the list of people we might consider, but you know, who knows? Um, but like those jobs pay like twice what I was making at like working for an art, an arts nonprofit in Philadelphia, um, which is wow. pretty crazy. Like they don't require any special degree. They just require, really? no, they're like, it'd be great if you had like a bachelor's and if you've had some data entry experience, but like, I think. I thought that type of job needs like a chemistry degree. No, it's like the kits are already made. I have nothing to do with like processing the kit or like coming up with the kit it's like putting something in an envelope and mailing it to someone and then like getting their results back and making sure they get their res- like like and getting the results back to them like it, it's it's more like that uh, so it's like you're like uh, the middle man <laughs> basically uh that's called water bureau yeah. wow sounds very powerful well, I think, and the water bureau is huge right like they do other things with water in the city and like water management but like this is just one specific job uh-huh. that they have uh, I also applied to be a mail carrier. Um, the post office is hiring a lot of people. Uh-huh. And again, like pays almost twice what I was making working in the arts. Um, and then what else have I applied for? I applied to two jobs. They just, they're expanding their 311 information call centers here in Portland. Um, so they had a bunch of jobs available there. So I just applied to them. And basically that is just answering the phone and doing research and like helping people figure out solutions or like who to reach out to. Mm. Um, and then I, there's a few other jobs that are a little bit more arts related that I'm trying to, that I'm applying for as well. But like, I've been applying to like weird, like city government jobs just because they offer benefits and pay more and offer uh-huh. things to like paid time off, which I haven't really had access to. Yeah. And also kind of thinking outside of the art box. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I've been working when you can, right? Like yeah. when you can be outside of the art box. You want to be outside of the art box when you're making like money. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know, like a lot of those creative jobs, while they were really fun, I didn't really have a studio practice while I was working on set. Like it took not going to set every day and working at the market exclusively to have time to make work when I worked at the museum in Philly uh you know like I I had a studio and I did a few creative things but for the most part creative energy sort of went to work it didn't really go towards myself mm. um which you know and that's just like a balance thing you know and I that could also be like being present and like being able to be present do you think like your artistic mind is like influencing your your day jobs in a way 
Oh, I think definitely. I think um, I, I definitely think having a creative practice influences your day job. If you don't have like a standard like creative job, um, I, th- I, I think it changes how you ask questions. Um, I think artists more so than most, you know, and maybe this is unfair to me to say because I haven't had other jobs, <laughs> but um, or like I, I've mostly worked in like the creative industry, but I feel like as artists, we're con- like just kind of constantly asked at by society, like, what's the point of you? Like, why are you here? Um, mm-hmm. Like, what is your value? I don't think I don't think like a software engineer often asks themselves what's their value. I think they just assume that they have a value. Uh, and I think kind of being an outsider to like a standard workforce, I think you bring something different to maybe like a kind of nine to five job thinking like, well, what's our purpose here? Like how, how are we functioning? How could we function better? Like in a sense of like, I think, I don't know, does this make sense? Like you're just, (laughs) you're basically coming at it from like a point of view of like kind of constantly being attacked of like, what is your worth? Um, Whereas like a person who maybe works for like an information services hotline, like isn't always asking what their worth is. I don't, does that make, does this yeah, make sense? Yeah, <laughs> I think so. I think as artists that we often like being treated or I don't know, like there's a lot of people would say like, you know, I don't I just remember like in our school or in our school and then maybe some of the older generation of imagining like a very, you know, <laughs> conservative straight man would be like a dad figure would be like, what are you going to do with your degree? What are you going to yeah. do? You know, what's the purpose of this? Yeah. Um, so we're trained to answer that questions always, like constantly Therefore, whatever job we do that we then have that kind of critical mind and questioning and maybe I don't know if it's a comfort like if it's a comforting state to be, but it's definitely very activating. Yeah, it is activating. That's a good way to put it. (laughs) Um, I think sometimes we ask art to do too much, too, but that's maybe a different conversation because we're always trying to like, what else can we do? Like we're trying to do the work of like like a social work or maybe like a public program that should actually be in place by the government, but like artists have taken it. Or be a politician. Yeah. Yeah. What is your dream job? Uh, I don't, I don't know if a dream job exists. I think like, <laughs> uh, but let me think if I, I think, you know, I think the job I had at the fabric workshop was definitely a, a dream job on paper, but uh, the reality of it is like, you, it's not sustainable. What was that? Uh, I was a studio assistant at the workshop, at the fabric workshop, but, um, in Philadelphia, in Philadelphia. Yeah. And, but the thing, like, it just didn't pay enough. Like, and I didn't see myself ever getting beyond like a $35,000 a year paycheck. And, and like, maybe that would change, but it would take a really long time. And I hadn't mm-hmm. even hit that mark yet when I left. And it's, and it's just kind of sad because like, you know, I really liked everyone I worked with. I liked the work we were doing. Um, it was what really did you fun. Do? Uh, you know, like we, uh, I did a lot of research for artists. I like made a lot of prototypes for artists and then we built and installed the installations in the museum. Um, and as far as like having a fiber arts degree, like, you know, that's like kind of like the dream job to have, mm. but um, I never saw myself being able to like, you know, like I would never be able to grow financially in any way. And I guess maybe that's not the most important thing, but you know, like as, as rent gets more expensive, I'm like, I don't know if I could ever 
like long-term, if I'd be able to afford living in Philadelphia on yeah. this salary. And it's kind of sad to like have a job in an institution that's really well-respected that, but like they don't pay their employees enough to like afford to live in the city that it's based, <laughs> so, based in. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and then, you know, like some of the pieces for another, sh- like another show that we worked on, some of the pieces sold for kind like for a little bit less than what I made in a year. And it's crazy to think that you could make something and like, you don't get any money from it, but it has somebody else's name on it. <laughs> like it, it's like, like those people just profited so much off of your labor. And it's not like, and like, whatever, that's the art world, right? Like, that's just, that's kind of also like capitalism and production. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. like you made this little sculpture that sold for like $18,000 and like, or whatever it was. And it's like, oh, wow, <laughs> someone just made a lot of money and I made none or I made very, very little. When, when you worked at that job, um, were you able to have your own studio practice? Uh, I did have a studio and I made some work and I did a little residency in Philadelphia during that time. But um, I was also teaching at Tyler. So wow. for most of my job there. So, so always multiple jobs at the same time. Yes. Yeah. Sort of how it's always been. Um, and that's just mm-hmm. because shit's expensive. <laughs> You know, like, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that's not unusual for artists. I think artists. I, I met an artist, a musician, this summer, and he was like, "I have five jobs this summer," and I think they were really like short, like little jobs, like one, like one morning a week or one afternoon a week or something. But he was still balancing five different schedules, which was which is crazy. <laughs> like, that's really yeah. hard to do. That'll drive you crazy. Yeah, yeah. This like mental energy of just managing your schedule. It's a lot. It's really a lot. But it's but you probably did the same thing too, right? Because you were you've taught at multiple institutions at one time. Um, yes, but it wasn't I think it was a good thing and a bad thing with my visa restrictions that um oh. I was not able to do a lot of jobs. So it's bad because there's a lot of opportunities in front of me that I feel I can't take because of that. I can't make a lot of money or not a lot, like nobody make a lot of money, <laughs> but like make more money yeah. um, or having more options. But also at the same time, I kind of like just shot this down and like don't need to think about it it gave me some almost like mental freedom like cleared out some space in my head yeah that I can't get it anyway then let's just not think about it right let's not worry about it like just do what do what you have um yeah 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 that's kind of a that's a nice way to look at it it's a very positive way to look at it Um, yeah I guess another way I find uh maybe helpful also, I don't know. I feel like everything probably ha- also have two sides. Is if this is just temporary? This is just now. Yeah. Like I can't yeah. imagine myself doing this forever. So uh, that being said, you know, in the good days, I feel like yay. Like this is just for now. So I'm, I feel still hopeful. And some mm-hmm. in the bad days uh, that when I feel really depressed, I feel like when is the end that if this is just temporary, like, you know, what's the future? What the, What's the future look like? Like, uh, it's hard for me to yeah. imagine. I've, yeah, I've actually, I've also been in that boat too of like, uh, everything is temporary. It is like a really different relationship to have to work when like, you're like, oh, this is only a three month job or like, this is only a six month job. Like, I don't know what the future is, but like, I don't know. It's, 
sometimes it's been really nice because maybe you don't always like everyone you work with. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes it's it's a little sad, but you know, but uh, it's a little stressful, I guess. But there is a little like a weird relief to having a lot of temporary work. Um, right, like there, I'm just here to collect different life experience, and then I will get out of here. Yeah, you know? bye. Yeah, yeah. But also at the end of my head, I always feel like. When there's a job opening, I need to apply. Like I'm con- yeah. like constantly on the job market and like mm-hmm. searching for things that can work for me. Yeah, I've likened it to like treading water. Like you're in the pool and you're just like in the middle of the pool and you're just kind of like trying to keep your head up <laughs> all the time. Mm. No place to rest. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what my dream job would be, but I'll think about it. I'll let you know if it comes up, or maybe. Maybe I'll get maybe I'll get a job that I don't you know don't think much about, and then all of a sudden I'm like, this is my dream job. It's a job that takes up almost no space in my brain, and I can just leave. I think. Uh, I mean, I think that like I mean, it would be dreamy if you didn't have to work, <laughs> or like you know, it'd be dreamy. Uh-huh. If, like, <laughs> I love that. You know, <laughs> I mean, like I think it'd be pretty like a dream job to me is like oh, like you're kind of like sometimes like maybe just being kind of self sustaining and like you kind of have some you're like able to like produce like your own, like sometimes I'm like kind of like commune it. Like you produce your own food. You like work for what you need, like those sorts of basic things. Like, I don't know. Yeah, basically just not being able to work and just being an artist. You just listened to an episode of Working Artist. This is Yixuan Pan. The music is made by Tristan Dan, who is a working musician and librarian. Please email weareworkingartists at gmail.com if you are interested in being a guest and sharing your stories.